Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 465 for October 18th, 2015. This week, password managers make it possible to maintain and use complex and secure passwords, and that's why you need one. Fortunately, there are several to choose from. If you're somebody who likes to write website code instead of using a WYSIWYG development tool, brackets would be worth looking at. In short circuits, if you recently upgraded to Windows 10, you're probably eligible for a money-saving deal on Office 365, but there might be a better option. The biggest tech deal in history has Dell Computers acquiring the much larger EMC Corporation. Several weeks ago I described switching to Bitdefender. This week I'll tell you why I can no longer recommend the product and why I no longer use it. In spare parts, only on the website, the market for wearable electronics is large and growing larger every day. And software as a service is seen as a new vector for malware. There are free password managers, and there are ones you pay for. Some of them have extra features you'll find useful, but regardless of the features and regardless of which one you choose or the price, the important point is to choose something. Web browsers can remember your login name and password for sites that you visit often, but storing passwords in a browser is considered a security risk. The browsers are getting better, but I still prefer to use a separate password manager because it'll work with all browsers. I use at least two browsers every day, sometimes four. Storing passwords in all of them and keeping the passwords updated sounds like more work than I want to do. For the past several years, I've used the paid version of LastPass. Before that, I used the free version for a while. Even earlier, I used KeePass and, in ancient history, PINs. There's no shortage of these applications. One of the more interesting applications I've seen recently is called PasswordSafe. It stores login data in a password-protected encrypted file that you unlock when you need access to the stored information. PasswordSafe has an auto-type feature that will log you into sites and applications automatically. Many of these applications have something similar. A default auto-type action exists, but this can be customized for every application or site that you use. Some sites, particularly bank sites, use non-standard login procedures, and those can cause some of the automatic logins to fail. PasswordSafe is somewhat more difficult to use than most. In part, that's because the documentation appears to have been written by the person who wrote the program. That's never a good idea because the developer makes too many assumptions about what a user will know. As a result, it took several tries and more than an hour for me to import 400 passwords into PasswordSafe. Still a lot faster than typing them. The primary shortcoming, though, is the fact that there is no option to store passwords online. There's a thumb drive option, meaning that you always have to have the thumb drive with you. And, of course, you could store the file on Google Drive or OneDrive. The customization possible with PasswordSafe is impressive, though. And this might be the right application for the more geeky listeners. You can download it from SourceForge, and as of this writing, no additional applications were included by SourceForge. <laughs> 
that's not always the case. But why do you need a password manager? Every website you visit that requires a password should have a unique password. Now, I have to admit that I don't live up to my own admonition. I use the same password on several sites that I consider trivial, ones that contain no financial information, for example. But my passwords are both unique and complex for non-trivial sites such as banks, website management, corporate email, client data, things like that. If you're looking for a free password manager, LastPass has been my recommendation for most people. It has a remarkable number of features for a free application. The paid version, and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit, adds several useful features for just a dollar a month. During the installation process, LastPass will offer to import all of the passwords you have stored in your browser or browsers. The fact that LastPass can do this is a pretty good indicator of the lack of password security in browsers. You will also be asked if you want to turn off password storage in the browsers. The right answer there, I think, is yes. KeePass is another good free password manager, but it has the same shortcoming that I mentioned with PasswordSafe. There's no online storage. If you use only a single computer, don't have a smartphone, and never need to access password-protected sites from public computers, KeePass would be a really good choice. But if you're willing to spend a few bucks, LastPass is still my recommendation. For $12 a year, LastPass Premium provides the ability to sync across device types, and it includes multi-factor authentication if you want to use it. If you use secure applications that require a password to log in, LastPass Premium can help there, too. LastPass for Applications is a separate utility available to premium users, and it brings automated password management to applications. A competing application, Dashlane, at $40 a year, adds a feature that LastPass doesn't have. It can give emergency contact access to your passwords. We're all going to die, and relatives might like to have access to your digital legacy when you're gone. The emergency contact feature lets you list any number of emergency contacts and give them access to some or all of your accounts. You can create the same effect in an application such as LastPass, though, by providing your username and password to those who will need it when you shuffle off this mortal coil. Doing it that way costs nothing. LastPass also has a shared family folder. Premium users can create a folder that will be shared with one to five other LastPass users. The creator needs to have a premium subscription, but others can all be free users. Drag any account into the shared folder, and it'll be shared with the group. But changes are afoot at LastPass. LastPass founder Joe Segrist announced that the company has been acquired by LogMeIn. As one of the world's leading SAAS companies, Segrist wrote, we can't imagine a better team to align with our values and product-driven mission. With their experience in growing successful brands like JoinMe, we're excited to join LogMeIn in delivering the next generation of identity and access management for individuals, teams, and companies with LastPass at the forefront. Well, I have some reservations. On the 9th of October, I asked the LastPass PR team to talk with me about the future. You'll see an image on the TechBiter Worldwide website that pretty much exemplifies the response. Say nothing, hear nothing, see nothing. So you're wondering why I have reservations. Well, given LogMeIn's history, I'm concerned about the future of LastPass. 
LogMeIn once offered a free service that allowed people who occasionally needed to connect to somebody else's computer to provide assistance could do so for free. With no warning at all, the free service was withdrawn. Will that happen with LastPass? I use the paid version of LastPass, but the free version is undoubtedly used by a large number of people. Will they suddenly be forced to upgrade? And what about the price itself? The paid version of LastPass is inexpensive, just a dollar a month, but will LogMeIn set prices so high, as they did with their own service, that casual users won't be able to justify paying for it? Well, I hope not. No matter how sophisticated applications such as Muse, Dreamweaver, or Zara Designer Pro get, there always seems to be a market for applications that allow users to manually code pages. Some people are just more comfortable writing code than using WYSIWYG tools. If you're one of those people, you might want to take a look at Brackets. It's a free open source code editor for the web. If you visit brackets.io, you'll see that you can download the application with Extract by Adobe, and that's probably what you want to do. But you can also download Brackets without Extract if you want to. On the Brackets website, the default big blue button includes Extract. To exclude Extract, just choose one of the other links that's available. What you'll find when you run the application is a code editor that is closely linked to the Chrome browser. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll find a short, about a four-minute video that explains what Brackets is. It's from the developers of Brackets. It shows how it's linked to a browser. This might be the best of all possible options because users can modify their code and then immediately see the effects of their changes in the browser. During the installation process, if you selected the Adobe Preview option, you'll need to agree to terms of the license. There is no cost for the Adobe component. The Live Preview function provides a real-time view of changes as you make them. Currently, the preview linking works only with Chrome, not the open-source Chromium or any other browser. Opening developer tools in Chrome will close the live development connection, and all files must be inside a single brackets folder. Only one HTML file can be previewed at a time, and real-time updates are paused when syntactically invalid HTML is encountered. That's probably a good idea. Brackets will resume pushing changes to the browser as soon as the syntax is corrected. In addition, Brackets doesn't offer library items or templates like Dreamweaver does. Dreamweaver does that to allow developers to maintain consistency across a website. There are ways to achieve similar functions in a standard code editor. They're somewhat more complex than selecting a library item or a template from a menu, though. Even given the shortcomings, Brackets is a project that's worth keeping an eye on. Brackets was created by Adobe Systems, licensed under the MIT license, and it's currently maintained on GitHub. It's a cross-platform application that runs on OS X, Windows, and Linux. If you're interested, you can download it from the Brackets website. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, if you recently upgraded a computer to Windows 10, you might see a notification occasionally that offers 
50% off for Office 2016 and Office 365. If you select the offer, you'll find that you can sign up for a year's worth of Office 365 for about $35. The catch? That's for just one computer. If you have several computers, as I do, you might want to consider one of the standard offerings. Office 365 Home costs $100 a year. Yes, that's considerably more than $35, but it also allows you to install the application on five computers. The computers can be Windows machines, Macs, Android tablets, or iPads. You can also install the application on five smartphones. Office 2016 is compatible with Windows 7, 8, and 10. Mac users need OS 10, 10.10, or later. The package includes Word, Excel, PowerPoint, OneNote, Outlook, Access, Publisher, a terabyte of space on OneDrive, and 60 minutes per month for Skype calls. If you use Visio or Project, you'll need to license those applications separately or just continue to use the older versions. Unlike the preview version of Office 2016, the commercial version does not require that you uninstall previous versions of Office. There's also no 25-character key. You'll install the applications by visiting the Microsoft Store website, and from there the process is virtually automatic. In coming weeks, I'll take a look at the new Office 2016 applications, and I'll let you know what I think of them. Dell Computers and its private equity firm, Silver Lake, plan to acquire EMC for $67 billion. That makes it the largest tech acquisition in history. At $33.15 a share, the price is considerably above the expected price of $27. In May, Avago paid $37 billion to acquire Broadcom. That was the largest private tech deal at the time. Now it looks small compared to this acquisition, and because of that, you might think that Dell has grown a lot since it went private a couple of years ago. Well, no, actually it hasn't. EMC is about twice as large as Dell. In other words, the mouse has eaten the cat. EMC owns VMware. Although it was included in the deal, it'll continue to be traded separately. EMC itself will go private. The combination makes Dell and EMC the largest privately controlled technology company in the world. EMC Chief Executive Officer Pat Gelsinger says that VMware's mission and strategy remain unchanged. He says the leadership team will remain in place. As expected, Michael Dell will be in charge of the new organization, and EMC CEO Joe Tucci will retire. Tucci had hoped to retire earlier, but had been unable to find a suitable successor. Problem solved. In an earlier report, I cautiously recommended Bitdefender as a protective application for your computer. As a result of additional use, I have to retract that recommendation. Shortly after completing the review, I began to notice significant problems with the application. The company's inability to fix the problems and their unwillingness to honor their 30-day money-back guarantee were disappointing. By way of a quick summary of my experience, one of the primary problems I encountered was the extremely slow loading of websites, but there were other issues. I had reported some of the problems to Bitdefender in early September, 
On the 13th, they started responding. You'll find a complete summary on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Eventually, I decided that the application simply wasn't going to work for me, and on day 29 of the 30-day trial period, I requested a refund. At that point, Bitdefender offered to extend the time that my license would run. Well, I decided that if an application doesn't work for me, being able to operate it for twice as long really wasn't much of a bargain. So finally, on the 2nd of October, I requested a refund from American Express. Two weeks after I did that, Bitdefender finally responded. Their response asked me to withdraw the chargeback request with American Express. But by that time, Bitdefender had largely lost my trust and confidence. I had requested a refund three times with no response and no success. It took more than a week for Bitdefender to respond after I filed the complaint with American Express. So I forwarded that message to American Express. At this point, they're reviewing it. Eventually, Bitdefender advised me that they had terminated the license. Well, since I'd already removed it from all the computers I had it installed on and reinstalled Avast, which now works properly with Windows 10, it didn't seem to be particularly problematic. So at this point, I'm waiting for American Express to sort through the paperwork and issue the refund. As for Bitdefender, I recommend avoiding the company. Their applications have excellent ratings from the major publishers, and what they offer may well work perfectly for some users. If you run into a problem, though, there's not much likelihood that Bitdefender is going to be able to help or willing to offer a refund. But I'm willing to help with spare parts, only on the website. The market for wearable electronics is large and growing larger every day. Also this week, software as a service is seen as a new vector for malware. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.